Thanks for being here today, ready to hear a word from the Lord. We're in a unique series right now related to a restating, a redefining of our church vision and values. And God's doing a new work in our body. And, and, and many of the things that we are saying have been said for a long time. Uh, but the reality is that this body has changed some. The Lord made it clear to us it's time for a new vision. And we covered that last week. If you didn't listen yet, uh, please check the podcast audio or YouTube video of that. That's pretty monumental in the life of our church. So I don't always push you to go back and listen if you missed, but that's one you don't want to miss from last Sunday. I want to reiterate why we're doing this, why we need to capture in new words who we are, what is our culture and what is our DNA, what is our shared mission. Well, first of all, the only way to truly be precise with clarity is to write things down. Uh, we, we don't leave our church constitution and, and bylaws and policies up to oral tradition and just assume everyone knows what to do. No, we write them down so there's no confusion. Uh, secondly, as, as guests and new members come into our church or as visitors are evaluating us, looking at our website, listening to our services, uh, they want to know what Kirby Woods is all about. We need to be able to share with them who we are concisely. Uh, it's not good to say, well, visit for six months and see if you figure it out. Uh, you, that's, you don't want to hear that as a guest. You want to just tell me, just tell me who you are. Um, and thirdly, this kind of clarity and definition is a gift to our future selves and to our children. When you don't have clear guiding principles, you are more susceptible to mission drift as well as a hostile takeover. Uh, the way that I've gone about this process of redefining our vision and values has not been to wrap it all up in my unique personality as a leader, but to make this a part of this body. Th this is not Pastor Jared's vision, but rather it is God's vision for Kirby Woods. I have no plans to leave, I don't mind telling you that, but I do try to think through every decision I make as a pastor through the lens of, would this work if somebody else was sitting in my chair? Or, or does this only work because of me? I believe that you can foist a lot of things on people, and uh, especially if that church has a respect for the pastor, the office of pastor, they will humor you and they will go along with a lot of things. But if everything comes from top down, there is a high likelihood that the people are just humoring you and will not keep anything you've done beyond your tenure. This series is not about top-down mandates from me to you. This is about seeking the Lord together uh, and ensuring that we are together. When I came two years ago, I came preaching, when we build the church on Christ, Christ will build his church. And then we did a series together called These Four Walls. And the theme of that was Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. So I've tried to be very clear from the beginning that this is Christ's church. We labor together to build his church and we trust him with the results. So last week you heard a new vision statement, a forward-looking picture of what we hope to accomplish by the grace of God, that every member of Kirby Woods would be on a path toward maturity in Christ and equipped to follow him wherever he leads. That's what we want to do. That's what we're after. That's our vision. That's the guiding light that we walk toward together. 
uh, and orients our programs and our efforts and everything we do should serve that. Next in the series entitled Clarity, I want to give you more new things that will help us in the public presentation of who we are. And, and maybe bumper rails for ourselves as well. Next week, uh, next we're going to unveil over the next couple of weeks, seven values, seven values for Kirby Woods. So what is a value? Something that you value. Thank you. Uh, no. <laughs> a value, it is that, but uh, I got a better definition. A value is a core principle that you hold to, which influences what you think is good. That's what a value is. Values are mostly theoretical concepts, but they have practical implications when they're worked out. I'll give you a couple of, of examples. Um, let's say, for example, that you personally, you're a young family, and you place a high value on having a big family, a big family. I don't mean a tall family. I mean, uh, I mean a big family. Uh, when you think of an ideal home, you think of lots of children. You think two or three kids seem small to you. You want the minivan, nay, the tallest wagon. Your mindset is, as long as God continues to give us children, we will continue to have them. They're blessings. That's a value, right? That's a value. And if you believe it, it has practical implications in the way your life is lived. Maybe you're a big fan of Dave Ramsey, and, and you take a value like, it's better to actually have money and live below your means than to go into debt to appear wealthy when you're actually not. Anybody amen that? That's pretty good. All right. That's a value. That's a value. It's theoretical, but it's going to affect the house you buy, the car you drive, how often you eat out at restaurants, all of that. It practically plays out. In a church, when you take inventory of your top values, now again, you may have 100, and I'm sure we have 100 values uh, but we're not going to publish 100 values. But you group all of these values together. When you see them in one place, the hope is what you have is a culture. The collection of what you value, what you love, what you avoid, what, you, what makes you feel uncomfortable, what gets you excited, what you reward, what you punish. The collection of these things together is called a culture. And that's what we want to define over the next several weeks as we work through these seven shared Kirby Woods values together. Today, we're going to look at value one. I want to tell you something. I need to confess. I fully intended on doing two values today. In fact, I so intended it, it's printed on the back of your bulletin handout there. Uh, but as I began writing, I got a little carried away, and I had to bump value two to next week. Now, I don't want to do that every week. I'm going to try to get back on track. But um, Isaac told me to tell you, that uh, it's just because I got so excited talking about the Bible that uh, that, that should be okay, right? So what I'm going to do is we're going to look at today one value, hopefully next week two or, or three to catch up. But what I want to do is look at these values together, show you from Scripture why they are, give a little bit of how they might play out into our church. And then after I've done that, give you a chance to sort of affirm with me that you believe this is, in fact, a value of Kirby Woods. So before we do any of that, let's pray together. Lord, help us today as we come to your word. And Father, as we look in the mirror honestly at who we are and what you've called us to do, that God, we would accurately portray 
what the values of this church are. Lord, not for our own glory, but Father, that, um, that we would be clear about who we are when people inquire, when our own children inquire, when we have to make decisions as a body, that we can look to these things as, as guides and bumper rails and helps uh, to us as we continue to grow. We thank you for this time together. Lord, use it even as we explain values of who we are, God. These are still wonderful verses that can bring conviction and repentance even today as we study our own values. So we pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's go ahead and begin. I'd invite you to turn to 2 Timothy 3.14. 2 Timothy 3.14. This is going to be a good anchor text for us to look at. And I would say... In general, the, the list of seven values that I'm going to give you over the next few weeks, uh, I'm not giving it to you in a particular order. It's not like number one's the most important and number seven's the least important. But I would tell you that number one, two, and three are special in that you gave those to me with the most frequency. So I'll give you a little bit of how I came about this process. Um, I began to pray and meditate on what values constitute the heart and soul of Kirby Woods, things that our congregation prioritizes, uh, things that might set us apart from, from other churches that are doing similar things, but maybe some distinctives for who we are. And so I opened a little note on my phone, and over the course of several weeks, um, I started adding things that I thought, yeah, that's it, that's it, that's Kirby Woods. And I, and I had a list of 12 that I started with. I went to our staff at a staff meeting and asked, without leading them, I think, uh, you tell me what you think is special about Kirby Woods. What's a shared value for Kirby Woods? And they all wrote down, I think, five or so answers, and, and we, we shared them together. And, and so then I, I, I t compared their answers against my 12, and everything they said was something I had said. So that's great. So then I went and whittled down my 12 to nine and eliminated a few that were redundant or could be combined. And so then I shot that list out to a few key folks in our church, you know, chairman of deacons, et cetera, things like that. I just want to get some eyeballs on this thing that I'm not going crazy. Um, does this seem right? Does this seem right? And I got all back. Yes, yes. Um, and, and I tweaked some of the wording a little bit. And then one Sunday night at Table Talk, maybe about a month ago, uh, I let everybody who was in attendance that night, maybe about 40 of you were there that night, Submit to me in writing what, what you think are the true core values of Kirby Woods based on who we've been, who we are, who we want to be. And, um, and you did that. And so I took all those and we tabulated them and looked at those. And lo and behold, everything you said was something that I had on my list of nine. And so then I took that list of nine and I brought it down again to seven. I showed that to our deacons a couple weeks ago. And um, one last time with the staff, is this right? And, and Isaac had a great last minute uh, Hail Mary, which I'll tell you about later. He made the list. And, uh, and so that's how we got the list that I'm giving you piece by piece, week by week. And I, I tell you the process of that because I want you to know that, again, I said this last week, this is not something that I got from a book. This is not something I saw at a conference. This is not something that I saw plastered and stole from another church's website. This is for us and by us. The wording of these values even is intentionally not cool, purposefully not cool, so that 
uh, we, we can be very clear about who we are, and I think being not cool on purpose is a value of Kirby Woods in itself, though it's not on the list. So, um, hey, you just got to be who you are, right? So, time for number one. Something that I know is important to Kirby Woods, and every single one of you put this on your list because it's so obvious. Number one, scriptural authority. Scriptural authority. Now, with every value that I share with you, I got a short version, which is that, two words, and then a long version explaining what I mean, because I know how people are. They twist your words and they say, oh, by, by authority, you mean, and then they do that. So no, I wrote it out, and so we'll look at it together. The longer version says this, the scriptures are the very words of God and therefore have authority over us. We will bring ourselves into agreement with him rather than seek to make him agree with us. That's what authority means. So I want to look now to 2 Timothy 3.14. The Apostle Paul writing his last letter to Timothy, his young pastor protege, he's been talking about how difficult his ministry has been, the challenges of following Christ. Paul's saying, man, I've been persecuted everywhere I go, but Timothy, don't worry. And then he tells him something to hang his hat on. He gives him something, encouragement, as this letter's closing out. He says this, look at 3.14. He says, but as for you, Timothy... Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from your childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So that's a very loaded Paragraph. These three things I want to show you about Scripture from this text. I'm going to begin with number one. Scripture is our number one source of knowledge. Our source of knowledge. Verse 15, Paul reminds Timothy that from his childhood, and we know from other verses that Timothy had a believing mother and grandmother, uh, he was acquainted with the sacred writings. And this is also interesting at the time because uh, the New Testament was not complete. It was being written, uh, but certainly this meant at least the Old Testament. So we're talking Genesis, Deuteronomy, Psalms, and more. Timothy grew up in an environment in the home throughout his childhood where the Bible was commonplace. He was well acquainted. Paul reminds Timothy of something that we need to be reminded of all the time, that these sacred writings, the scriptures, are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. This means that the scriptures are not just ornamental. They're not cool coffee table books or conversation pieces. They aren't just a common starting place for a culture to come together. No, Paul says it's more than this. The scriptures actually make you wise and not just generally wise, wise for salvation. Why? Because through the scriptures, you get to know somebody. Who do you get to know through the scriptures? Jesus. The source of knowledge for our very salvation is found where? The scriptures. I always think, it, it's always a little sad when I hear people talk about knowing Jesus apart from the Bible. You ever hear this? as if that's somehow possible. Sometimes you hear people say, oh, Jesus would never do that, or Jesus would never say that, or this is my personal favorite, my Jesus 
does this. And sadly, what they mean is that the Jesus they have made up in their mind would not do that. If you hear people ever talking about, let's get back to the authentic Jesus, the real Jesus, the true Christ, and and they don't mean chapter and verse, you're about to hear a made-up Jesus that never existed. The authentic Jesus is the one revealed to us in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And not only that, but Paul would say the Old Testament, wrote to Emmaus, am I right? Uh, The letters of Peter, James, John, Jude, Luke, and Paul, that's the Jesus of the apostles. There's, There's no other secret Jesus. There's no other Jesus that we can make into something that we would prefer. Did you know there's a huge movement right now to try to co-opt Jesus and make him into some revolutionary socialist? Do you know about that? Uh, Over the course of history, there have been various pushes to try to make Jesus a different ethnicity than what he is. You know, the blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus, it's just not not there, it's just not real. Or, you know, to try to kind of make him into other races and ethnicities. I understand you're trying to make a point, but guys, he was Jewish, he was. History is full of people trying to borrow from Jesus' credibility and make him into something that suits their agenda. Paul says something important to Timothy here. He says, the scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through Christ. Christ is our salvation. To be, to be clear, you got to say this when you're talking about the Bible with such reverence that we do. We want to be clear. We do not worship the Bible. Some, some Pentecostals have accused Baptists of having a different trinity. You've ever heard this one? Father, Son, and Holy Bible. It's a good burn. I mean, that's, not, it's a good, that's a good one, but it's just not true. It's just not true. We do not worship the Bible, but salvation comes through the historical work of Jesus Christ, crucified on the cross for our sins, risen on the third day. We worship Christ. We worship Christ. Repentance and faith are the keys to salvation. But however, I must ask the question, the great follow-up question, where does all that information come from? Where'd you get that information? The Bible, the scriptures. So the scriptures are our source of knowledge, particularly the revealing of the Son of God, the Messiah. So that leads us to the next point as we discuss the scriptures. Scripture is our source of knowledge. And secondly, it's number two, our tool in equipping. Our tool in equipping. Look to verse 16 and 17. To review, it says, all scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is one of, maybe the best, this is one of the best verses in the Bible that describes the Bible. Uh, All scripture, the graphe, the writings, is theonoustos, God-breathed, inspired. Not a clever invention of man, but the very words of God to us. So we can say the Bible does not just contain the words of God. The Bible is the word of God. That's the basis for truthfulness. That's the basis for its reliability, the ability to give us wisdom for salvation. So we said it's the source of knowledge, but look here, we see also it's more than just the way we know to be saved. 
it's the primary tool to be used in equipping you as a Christian for your life. Last week, I mentioned Ephesians 4, 11, and 12, how the saints are to be equipped for the work of ministry. Well, here we see what the tool is. What's the tool for equipping? The scriptures themselves. If you want to disciple someone, seriously, if you don't know what to start, just say, let's read the Bible, get together and talk about it. Probably bad things won't happen. So what can you do with the word of God? Well, there are three things here, uh, four things that Paul says the scriptures are profitable for. Teaching, reproof, correction, and training. This reminds me a little bit of Colossians 1, 28 from last week. So uh, let's just run through those words. First, we are to be teaching the scriptures here. Um, I'm, I am not teaching you business principles or great classics of literature or some cutting edge political theory. My calling is to teach the scriptures because it's profitable and because God breathed it out. Think about this. If you have something that is God breathed and you have something that is not God breathed, what do you want to spend your time studying? Right? Uh, would you, what would you rather have as a basis? Why, why talk about Aesop's fables when we've got Jesus' parables? You know what I mean? One is inspired by God. One is not. I'll take God breathed for 500, Alex. Secondly, reproof. Reproof. This is rebuke. Uh, telling you when you're wrong. This is the one no one likes. Uh, to tell you you're wrong. Conviction. Confrontation. It's telling you when you've sinned against the holy God. The word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword because it cuts and slices and dices to the heart of the issue. There are moments in life, you may not have a prophet named Nathan walk up to you, put his finger in your chest and bring out your sin and say, you are the man. But you know, God's word will do the same thing. God's word will do that. The Holy Spirit will do that. If you are in Christ, the Holy Spirit will do that in conjunction with the word. So look, there are some churches that will minimize sin, minimize the mention of sin, uh, no call to repent, especially the addressing of specific hot button sins like homosexuality, abortion, or divorce, or whatever's hot at the moment. And Kirby Woods will not be one of those churches that minimizes sin. We will not. If the word of God, listen, I, I really thought about this, this is good. If the word of God is profitable for correction, I don't have the authority to step in as a buffer and prevent you from being corrected. I, I don't have that kind of power to say, you know, as a preacher, it's my job to make sure you don't hear certain things so that you're not offended. That's authority I don't have to step between you and a holy God when, when God wants you to be corrected. So we will not do that. You will, at Kirby Woods, face correction from the word of God from time to time. We all will. We are all sinners. We all open the Bible and let it do what it does. Nothing is off limits. Thirdly, God's word is profitable for correction. Correction. This is similar to reproof, except it has some connotations of building back up. Reconciliation. You know, there are times when you need the rod of reproof, the discipline of God. But God's word also is to be used in restoring someone who has been corrected. A verse of scripture 
On the lips of an encourager to the ear of one who is hurting is powerful medicine. So we want to be a church that addresses sin, but also a church that does not leave people sitting in their ashes. We want to come with the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, forgiveness, reconciliation, and restore a sinner back to fellowship with God and man. When you're a gospel church, you do both. And I want to be a gospel church. Fourth, last, Paul says the scriptures are profitable for training in righteousness. That's that rich word, paideia, that paideia in righteousness. It's, it means a disciplined upbringing, building habits, building the ideal man or woman. You want to learn righteousness in life? How to live? How do I live? What do I do? What's right? How do I learn to live right? Train in the scriptures. It's your training for righteousness. So look, there's a lot of things we could talk about when we get together, when our groups gather, when our Sunday schools gather. But primarily, at Kirby Woods, we are a people of the book, right? That's who we are. Now, that doesn't mean we can never do anything except sit in circles and read the Bible. We need prayer, we need community, we need fellowship, and we need some potlucks, you know what I'm saying? But, but the source of information, the foundation of our training and equipping is to come from the Bible and not from somewhere else. Spurgeon said, visit many good books, but live in the Bible. For our Sunday schools, our kids' ministry, our student ministry, our seniors' adult ministry, everything we do, Scripture is home base. It's home base. And verse 17 caps it off perfectly. It says, all of this exists so that the man of God would be complete and equipped for every good work. That word complete, it, it means proficient. It means capable. And that's our mission. We talked about it last week. That's what we're about here, that you would be mature, equipped, proficient, capable for every good work. There's no way to get there apart from the scriptures. And so that is key for us. We have seen the scripture as our source of knowledge, our tool in equipping. And lastly, number three, our ultimate authority, our ultimate authority. This is about the point when I was writing my message that I realized I don't have time for value number two. Got to make some changes here. So this is about the moment. We have established in the previous verses that the scriptures are the very words of God, the power for salvation, breathed by God, written by men, inspired by the Holy Spirit. We believe that. We would check that box on a doctrine test. We would sign our names to the Baptist faith and message or any other statement that says that in a confession. And that's great. That's great. But here's the thing. For a church, that should be the bare minimum, not the maximum. We live in a time where there are progressive Christians and liberal Christians and denominations and seminaries and all kinds of parachurch organizations that wouldn't even say that. They wouldn't even say the things I just said. But you might think every Christian, to be a Christian is to believe the Bible is inspired without error and all of that, and uh, you would be wrong. You have churches right now in this city, you could field trip to them this morning, that would say things like, we believe the Bible is a collection of writings from flawed men who reflect the beliefs of their time and culture in an attempt to know God. And that's what the belief statement says. And they'll read the stories and they'll explain away the miracles and well, well, Jesus was really walking on a frozen lake, you know. Come on. 
apologize for God. Well, God said that, but good thing we don't believe that anymore. Ooh, boy, that would be uncomfortable. And and you apologize for things God has said or inject progressive views from today backward into history. So there's that view of the authority of Scripture, which, which is the progressive view, which is that the Scriptures are not authoritative at all, that we need to reinterpret the Bible to fit today. Then there's this other thing that I think is much more slippery and hard to tell when you're looking at it, and it's, it's the church that says all the right things, it says inspired, infallible, inerrant. They got you three eyes, and they signed the confession statement, but, but then there's this disregarding of the Bible when it comes time to actually put it into practice. So we saw this a couple years ago with the critical race theory, social justice getting into churches in broader society. Many churches that had long been solid on the gospel and affirmed all the right statements on paper and would say all the right slogans on their website began to say things like, we cannot rightly understand the gospel apart from helpful analytical tools such as CRT, and we need to hashtag do the work by reading the works of Robin D'Angelo and Ibram X. Kendi. I remember, I was there. And it's like, wait a minute. I thought we said the scriptures make one wise to salvation. I thought the scriptures were valuable for teaching and reproof and correction and training in righteousness. I, I thought it was God's divine power that he granted all things pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory. I thought the scriptures were our authority, sufficient to equip us for every good work. See, you can say the right things about the word of God and sign all the statements, but then go run your church like a business seminar or a TED talk or an inspirational life coach or an old time stand-up comic or a folk storyteller or a political campaign or a news headline gripe session. You can say you believe the Bible, but, but it's barely the mashed potatoes on the plate. Sometimes that little, that little green sprig of, of parsley that nobody really knows what to do with. I mean, think about this. Every Sunday, I hate to, I hate to, to beat on the same guy over and over because we all know at this point who, who this is, but every Sunday, Joel Osteen holds up a Bible and recites this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. Today I will be taught the word of God, dot, 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 go on. And then he puts the thing down and doesn't pick it up again. You say the right words, but, but what are you doing? The Bible gets relegated to that little sprig of parsley on the mashed potatoes. And yeah, you got the right statements. You've signed all the statements, but it doesn't matter if you're going out front publicly and doing something different. I want a church, I hope you're with me on this, I want a church where the word of God is the 72-ounce porterhouse they advertise on I-40 on the way to Amarillo. You know what I'm talking about? You see that thing 200 miles out, they want you to know about that thing, and if you eat it in an hour, I think it's free. Is that how it goes? I want people to hear the word of God proclaimed with authority and power, to be challenged, and for people to say, man, if you... Look, you go wherever you want, but if you want to feel like you met a holy God, you want to feel like you know the scriptures, you want to feel like you wrestled a bear and got beat, you need to go sit through uh, Sunday school and preaching at Kirby Woods Baptist Church. They're going to give you the Bible. They're going to give it to you straight. They're not going to make it, try to make it fit in today's 
terms and language and switch it around and move it around, we're going to be straight with you. Right or wrong, we're going to tell you the truth. I want, if you've been here with me over these last two years, to look at me and say, Pastor, I know the first half of the book of Joshua. And I could even teach it if I had to. I know the book of Acts. I know the book of Jonah. I know the book of Numbers. Not heard a lot of great inspirational talking. No, I want our people to say, God challenged me in Joshua. God showed me what a church on mission looks like. What evangelism and boldness in the face of persecution looks like in Acts. God showed me what repentance and revival look like in Jonah. God showed me what it's like to walk through the wilderness in the good and the bad in Numbers. Church, when the scriptures are your authority, God drives your church. Now, another thought on authority that I want to give to you, and I think this is the heart of it all. When something is your ultimate authority, and you find yourself in disagreement with your ultimate authority, it is you that must change. That is what separates those who say and those who do. When the scriptures are your final, ultimate authority, that means when you are thinking, saying, feeling things that are not aligned with scripture, you bend. You don't change the Bible. You change. You don't ever make the scriptures bend to you. If you do that, who's the final authority? You are. And boy, you are bad final authorities. I'll tell you that. In the spring of 2022, I preached a series entitled These Four Walls. The first wall is the exact same thing that I'm giving to you now, the authority of Scripture. The example I used in that message, I want to bring it back for you because it's so appropriate. In 2 Kings 22 and 23, we have an account in the reign of King Josiah that an old dusty book was discovered in the back of the temple complex. Now, Judah had descended into idol worship. They had statues of Baal in the temple, cult prostitutes, statues to Molech where they sacrificed their kids to God. They had lost their way and become an absolutely degraded pagan nation. A priest rummaging around in the back looking for something finds an old book and brings it to King Josiah and says, you may want to look at this. It was the book of the law, the words of Moses. They had not been reading it. Nobody knew what it said. It had been a generation or two since anybody cracked the book. They didn't know how far they had fallen until they opened it. Josiah read it. He tore his clothes. He wept. He made a covenant with God. And right there, things are about to change. And they did. He cleaned house. He smashed and burned idols. He threw out prostitutes, killed the false priests. Instant repentance. And do you know why? Because he decided that the word of God was going to be his authority. When he saw the defiled temple and he read what Moses said about the tabernacle, he knew something's got to change here. I think about the story in the New Testament. Our kids sing a song about him, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was uh, not just a wee little man, but he was a wealthy wee little man. Matthew was a former tax collector. Matthew had some money, but we are told Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector, which means he was rich with three R's. 
He got that money by defrauding people. He took too much taxes, more than he was allowed to. He's in the town. Jesus walks by, you know, he's up in the tree. Jesus walks by him and says, hey, I'm going to stay in your house today, Zacchaeus. Everybody around grumbled. How are you going to talk to that guy? He's a tax collector. What's wrong with you? Well, before you know it, next verse, just spending a little time with Jesus, Zacchaeus is giving away half his possessions to the poor and paying back everybody he ever defrauded four times over. How did that happen? Because he had a change in authority. His authority went from, I have the power, are you going to stop me? To, I want to please my Lord and Savior with my life. I think of a story we mentioned earlier of King David. King David had slept with another man's wife. He arranged it to appear appear like the baby wasn't his. And then Uriah had to go die on the front lines to clean up everything. We think this story is horrible because it is horrible. But the only reason that we think it's horrible is because the word of God exists. You know something? All the kings of that time, all the kings of history at that time, did what David did ten times over. In nations where there was no presence of the word of God, no prophets, no priests, kings did whatever they wanted. Kings did not typically repent. Why? Who's going to tell them they're wrong? Anyone who mustered the courage to call out a king would die. Ask John the Baptist when he told Herod, hey, kind of weird stuff you're doing here with your sister in this whole situation. He lost his head. But as great a sin as David's was, and it was great, there was a difference between David and the other kings who sinned in the same way David did. Though David sinned, he still held an authority for the word of God. That's why a prophet named Nathan could hold the king accountable, not to himself, but to a higher authority, the word of God. And David, the king, repented. We, Kirby Woods, want to be a church that operates underneath the authority of the word of God. Not just the right buzzwords, but that we truly think through our decisions and our operations and our teaching as not from our own authority, but from the word of God. And when we inevitably stray here and there on occasion, we're all sinners, and I'm sure that we will at some point, that we would recognize and repent because we never want to make God out to agree with us when he does not. We never want to twist the word of God so that rebuke is impossible. So I'm going to read this value out loud to you. And if you're a member of this church, I would ask if you believe this to amen after I ask you if you agree. Value number one, scriptural authority. The scriptures are the very words of God and therefore have authority over us. We will bring ourselves into agreement with God rather than seek to make him agree with us. Church family, do you believe that this is truly a value of Kirby Woods? Amen. Amen. Then let's make the scriptures our source of knowledge to know Christ and the gospel, our tool for equipping the saints for every good work, and our ultimate authority above any earthly power, even above ourselves. Let's pray together.